Uh, have a good day. Good to see you back, brother. Yeah, welcome back on the front row. Uh, have you ever been missing? Have you ever been the missing person? Yeah, and uh, I, I love seeing missing persons back at church. You were missing persons, <laughs> right? I, saw, I think I saw you on a milk carton. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. <laughs> so uh, if, you're, if you know somebody that's not been coming regularly, uh, just lift them up in prayer. Ask Jesus to bring them back because it's good to be connected, right? Yeah, it's good to be connected. It's good for your soul. Some folks over here just got back from a, you know, a couple years sabbatical from church. <laughs> so... I love that. Welcome back. If you've been missing, um, we are in a series. We've been in it for a long time. So if you're, if you're kind of been away and coming back, we're in a series. Let's tell them what it is. It's called Under. Yeah, because we're all under the influence of something. And I'm going to hit that pretty hard today because I would like to change what you're under the influence of. Unless, of course, you're just simply under the influence of Jesus. Okay, if, you're, if that's the case, then good for you. Let's just stick with that. But most of us, uh, for a good portion of life, our days are under the influence of something else entirely. Think about what you might be under the influence of. It could be uh, stress because you got one of those jobs, right, that just weighs heavy on you and you're under the influence of stress. I mean, you're at work, you're under the influence of stress. It makes you work real hard, right? There's some, I guess there's a benefit to that. But then you bring it home with you and you're still under the influence of your stress at work, from work. But now it spills into your family and contaminates that whole experience at home because you're not really home, really because you're really at work because you're under the influence of work. Are you tracking with me, right? You're under the influence of something. So where where I would just keep trying to push you more and more and more is is to recognize, pay attention, what is it you're under the influence of and recognize that you can choose to be under the influence of something else. Now, it's not easy to do so, but you can make that choice. And what we're hoping is that by being a part of our service, we are reinforcing how you can take charge of what you're under the influence of. Anybody open for that? Let's do a few things together. Let's say our mission statement. It should pop up on the screen for you in case you forgot it, but most of you have it memorized. Hope you're telling somebody, this is what my church is all about. Ready, set, go. Meeting people where they are and loving them to where Christ wants them to be. That's what my church is about. So if, if you want to have that kind of church experience, then, then just own that. Share that with others. Um, we've also been talking about building a rule of life. So this under this influence of Jesus, we're saying, how do we, how do we come under the influence of Jesus? Well, uh, this is what's critical. A rule of life is your spiritual habits or disciplines that you practice that, that, keep, that help you stay under the influence of Jesus. So if you've got habits, y'all do. <laughs> you've got habits. How many know you've got habits, right? Y'all got some habits, some good, some not so good, right? So your habits bring you under the influence of something. If you've got a habit of drinking to m- mitigate stress, that's what you're under the influence of. If you got the habit of, you know, just talking a bunch, you know anybody that does that? <laughs> you must, right? You know, like you get in their space and they're like, la, 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 la. they're under the influence of something that just drives them to talk more, right? But, it's, but we're all under the influence of something, and so, but our habits do that. And so we want to cultivate the kind of habits that bring us under the influence of Jesus. Uh, all week long, all month, all year long, we're doing that. Um, so we're building this rule of life, and primarily the, fun, the foundation of your rule of life is going to be built on two things, uh, prayer and Bible engagement. Just say that with me, prayer 
and Bible engaged. Those two things are your foundation of your rule of life. Everything else springs from that. And so we've been taking uh, about, I think we're on week six, and we're talking about the good book or the Holy Bible. Um, this is my smaller version. Um, and uh, and it's, it's a dandy. Um, so what we're doing is we're kind of digging into why the Bible should be a foundation of our rule of life. And we've been talking about a lot of inaccurate ways to, to look at the Bible. We've been calling that, what does this thing represent? Awesome. Good job. Good job. So the frame of reference is the way we see the world. We all have a frame of reference. Um, you might have been brought up on the farm. You're a farm kid. You're a uh, you have a work ethic, and you see the world from that frame of reference. It's a frame of reference that thinks everybody should work hard. And you're just kind of ticked off when people don't, right? That's your frame of reference. It's just your way of seeing the world, right? Um, and that can be dominant. You might come from a, a liberal frame of reference or a, or a conservative frame of reference, and you see the world that way. We all have a frame of reference. And that frame of reference shapes how we see the Bible. We either see it as something that, oh, it's, it, was, it was nice for my parents, but... <laughs> Amen. Uh, it, was, it was nice for our parents, but I really don't have a lot of time for it, right? It's, uh, it was good for them, but not for me. Or you know what? I just think it's a, it's a batch of old stories, you know, some nice moral, moral stories, but you know, it's not really very practical to me. That's my frame of reference to it. And based on your frame of reference, you let it remain closed. This one's got a little, little you know, you can almost kind of lock it, I think, right? It's amazing, right, to get into this puppy. Um, but a lot of you just say, you know, it can stay closed because I just, it's just not very, I just not need it. I don't need it. That's my frame of reference says. If that's your frame of reference, then probably you ain't cracked one open for a while. You might have one on the shelf. It's good to have on the shelf, but I don't need it in anywhere else. Or some of you have a frame of reference. You see it as something critical to life. And even as I say that, those who don't see it that way think, really? I mean, you just kind of have a, really? So I just invite you just to kind of pay attention. How, what's your reaction on the inside to that book? What's your reaction on the inside of that book? Here's our current goal. So our current goal is to increase our commitment and ability to experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. By engaging it, by engaging Scripture daily to hear God's voice and word that invites us to join Him in His story, because this book is all about the story of God. We've been talking about Lexio Divina. That's kind of, the, that's kind of a real formal way of saying this book's your foundation, this book's uh, a rule of life. Lexio Divina is a way of kind of looking at, at Scripture or looking at life. So we have our symbol, our infinity symbol. How many can remember that? Right. So that's hopefully going to come on screen. So the upper left-hand corner without any help, what is it? What is it? We're going to explore. We're going to explore. Lower right-hand corner would be discover, and then upper right, and then... And the surrender represents our mission statement where God wants us to be. He wants us to be in a, in a place of surrender. I get it. Most of us probably are only there occasionally, uh, only there very momentarily, but God's desire is that we would be there on a continuous basis in that surrendered state. So that, that's going to take some effort on our part. That's what the rule of life, daily engagement with the scriptures, joining God's story, that's where it'll take you. It'll take you to a place of greater surrender. So 
Um, so the, the invitation is there. If you have the other one that has the uh, superimposed stuff onto, onto it, a second set of words, which is about the rule of life, uh, maybe it doesn't. Okay, so let's talk about the rule of life. So under explore, we're going to read. When I read the Bible, I explore the Bible. Whenever I reflect on the Bible, we talked about that last week, meditation. When I reflect on it, what do I do? I discover. Whenever I learn to um, respond to Scripture, right, I learned, so I was, I don't, it just isn't that, I'm responsive to it. I learn to rely and trust God. I lean on Him. And then whenever I really rest in Scripture, I can surrender to God. So that's the idea of those four things. So we've been talking about this idea of reading differently, reading differently, not for information, but for formation. That, that I want to read in such a way that it's going to transform me. So um, I, uh, I picked up several years ago this little, it's kind of a little poem thing about the Bible. And um, I recited it to you last week, but I, it should be on screen this week, maybe. If it's not, it's not. I'm just going to recite it to you again. But if it's up there, you can read along with me. This book uh, is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the hope of sinners. Um, that's what I the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to guide you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map. It's the pilgrim's staff. It's the pilot's compass. It's the soldier's sword. It's the Christian's anchor. Through its story, paradise is restored. Heaven is open. The gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good, its design. The glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It's a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to God himself. Isn't that awesome? That's good, isn't it? And whenever your frame of reference becomes one that that book you believe to be of the highest quality, the greatest inspiration, the most necessary tool for living well, all those things will become yours because it's your frame of reference. So I'm inviting you. Uh, indeed, I hope I'm challenging you. I prayerfully ask that you would consider that frame of reference for this book. Um, we're going to look at um, Matthew chapter 4, 1 through about 11, and we're going to talk about Jesus and his frame of, part of his frame of reference with the Bible. So last week I told you about three, three ways to see the Bible, what kind, what kind of literature it is, that it's, um, it's meditative literature. We spent quite a bit of time talking about that. Was it, who was here last week? Anybody remember that? Remember my dog, Missy? right? Missy uh, on the farm, this was when I was a kid, she would, she would get a bone, because there's always carcasses. Like on our farm and ranch has like, you know, 
four, I think they have 6,000 acres now of land. There's lots of land, which it sounds like a lot, but in the, in the plains of Colorado, it's not that much. Uh, it's still a lot, but anyhow, there's a lot of carcasses, a lot of dead things on the farm. And so Missy would, would bring home a bone, and she would shake that bone and kind of show it off, like, look at the bone I got, you know. It's like, come here, Missy. And she's like, Arr. And then she would go sit under a tree, and she would meditate. Okay, the, word, the word in Hebrew is hagah. It means to chew on something. It means to mo- moan and groan and growl and whisper. She would just sit under the tree like a dog with a bone, right? Why? Because she loved the bone. <laughs> she felt like that bone was hers and she wanted to break it into bite-sized morsels so she could ingest it. So I proposed last week that God's Word, it's meditative literature. It's intended to be ingested, taken in. We're supposed to consume this word. So I'm hoping that you will recognize that that is the primary way this book was intended to be read. It's meditative literature. We also talked about that it's messianic literature, and we also talked about it's wisdom literature. You can check out last week's message if you missed those, or check out the devotions you can watch online. How many watch devotions online? Awesome. Eight of you. Wonderful. Um, (laughs) You all should check it out. It's pretty good. Just go to the app, check out the devotions, or go to YouTube, check out the devotions. So every day I give you a little, a little snippet that kind of corresponds to whatever our conversation was. But so if you're meditating on it, it's, it's really it's going to do something different because you're internalizing it. So that's kind of the big deal. And so meditation, and I'm going to add to that this idea of memorization. How many have ever memorized something? How many are just liars? Just, like, you just don't want to play. Okay, yeah. You've all memorized something. It's interesting, whenever I talk about memorizing Scripture, some people are like, I just couldn't do that. <laughs> do, you ever, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? They, I couldn't do that, Pastor. You, you're really good. I couldn't do that. And, but then I'm just with them, right? And all of a sudden, we start talking about sports. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and they just start rattling off players and stats. And I mean, it's like, it's, it's amazing. It's like, holy cow. And you can't memorize. No. <laughs> you see, we remember what's important to us. We remember what's important as we hold on to what we value and so if, I'm, if, I, if I want God to have a bigger portion of what's here, if I want God to be a part of that, I have to hold more tightly to him. I have to ingest him. Because that's what you're doing with your sports stats. Or pick whatever, right? Whatever you can't memorize but you know so well. And you recite, you know, the cookbook. Uh, somebody just go to work, right? You just go to start cooking. You start... And the rest of us will be going, well, what do you put in next? Oh, you do this. And how much? Oh, you do that, right? And you just, where'd you get that memory it's amazing, isn't it? Incredible. Okay, so this idea of memorization, that's kind of part of what I'm going to be pushing today on. And I know that some of you are just a hard sale, so i got to push you pretty hard. <laughs> but I'm doing it very lovingly, right? <laughs> because when you make a choice to meditate on the right thing, it creates the right results. When you make a choice to meditate on the wrong things, it just creates lackluster results at best, if not aberrant, toxic results because some of us meditate on some pretty toxic stuff. Okay, let's read Jesus, what Jesus experienced in Matthew. So Jesus early on, so remember we're doing context. 
Whenever we read the Bible, we want to think about historical context. We want to think about cultural context. So the desert was a space and place for all the biblical authors for there to be a challenge. Some sort of testing takes place in deserts all throughout the Scriptures. If someone's in the desert, they're probably going to go through some kind of test. So that's kind of our historical context. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So God's going to let him come to a place where he's challenged. God's going to God lets you do that too. Um, by the, so the Spirit leads me into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He's just kind of stating the obvious. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. 40 days and 40 nights without eating. Mm, I'm going to be hungry too. Very, very hungry. Um, the tempter came to him and said, if, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So, right, if you're God, just command them, right? If you're God, you spoke the world into existence. So if you're God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth or comes from the mouth of God. So, so therein, Jesus is saying there's something about this word of God that should be ingested and that like food, we take in bread. We don't live by bread alone, by just you know, the material bread we have. But there's a spiritual bread. There's something else deeper that we also need. Um, then the devil took him to, a holy, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up with their hands so that... You will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this will be yours, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Okay, um, so we're going to make several observations about Jesus in the wilderness and his relationship to his Bible. So his Bible would have been the, what we know as our Old Testament. That would have been Jesus' Bible. Um, and what we see in Jesus' behavior with Satan is that Jesus had the ability to recite Scripture when he needed it. So, so he had committed, Jesus had committed Scripture to memory. You're thinking, oh, what he's got. When Jesus was in here in earthly form, in his human state, he had all the limitations. The Bible tells us he had all the limitations you have. He got tired. He was hungry. He could forget things. So if Jesus had to, someone had to tell him how to get to a certain place, he just didn't access the God piece. And, you know, oh, I know where that's at. I know where everything's at. He still had the same learning process we did. He started as an infant and grew up. He had to learn things like you and I had to have to learn things. So if Jesus mem memorized Scripture, meditated on Scripture, might st stand for a reason, we might need to also. Meditation and memorization was the custom of Jewish culture. In fact, what Jesus and his disciples grew up in, uh, and the Jesus movement uh, perpetuated was committing large portions of Scripture to memory. Eugene Peterson, who is the uh, translator of the Message Bible, anybody ever read the Message Bible? If you've got a Bible app, uh, excellent, six of you have too. That's, so we're going to raise our biblical literacy here. So there's lots of different translations. The Message Bible is, my gosh, if you ever, anybody ever read the Bible and just say, it's kind of confusing? 
Okay, got a really pretty response there. Um, so the Message Bible is intended to kind of take some of the confusion out of it. It's not dumbing the text down. It's making it in our language. So here's the cool thing. Whenever Eugene Peterson makes it in our language, why did he do that? Because that's the way the Bible was written. It's, the Bible was written in the common person's language. A little bit of interesting history here. So the King James Version, anybody ever encounter that book? That book is really hard to understand. And some people think it's like the most holy book of all. It's the best translation ever. Here's the deal. The, the King James Version was translated in what would be considered um, high English, right? So the, the affluent English speaker of the time spoke the language that the King James was written in. And whenever you look at the Bible itself, it has about 5,000 words in the Bible, about 5,000. In the New Testament, about 5,000 words. Uh, 500 of those words, um, when they translated it from Greek into English, they said, we can't find these Greek words anywhere. It was like these, these 500 Greek words in the Bible, in the New Testament, we can't find them anywhere. We looked through all the, all the libraries with Greek, Greek writing, and we cannot find like 500 words. And so they must be, these we're going to call these holy words. So this is back in 1611, a few years ago. We're going to call these holy words. These are spiritual words. These are Bible words. Then in the early 1900s, there was excavation done in a Greek city of the time of Jesus, and they started to excavate a trash dump, a junkyard, a place where people took their trash. Remember, the, whenever things were written, they were written on shards of pottery or they were written on, on um, uh, leather straps or little pieces of leather or scrolls. And they find in this trash a bunch of writing that was just thrown away. And they figured out, this is the common person's language. You see, whenever they were working in the Greek language, the only, there was what's called classical Greek, which would have been the highest educated Greek. The classical Greek is what they believed the Bible should be written in. But there wasn't these 500 words in classical Greek. But they started digging in this trash dump, and they found, they found the 500 missing words. It was a mother writing to her son who had gone to war. It was a receipt for somebody's purchase of some bread. Literally, one of the words that comes in our text, this idea of bread, was one of those words. That wasn't, if this was a holy word, then they go, oh, this is just a common word. And what they found was is that the New Testament didn't match the King James Version. The King James Version was high English. So what Eugene Peterson done, has done is put it in our vernacular because that's the way it was written. Those weren't spiritual words. Those were words of the most common people. Pretty interesting, huh? So when you start to understand the way the Bible was translated, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And so our, we have wonderful, wonderful access to so many wonderful translations that help us understand it more. So find a translation that you can understand and read the thing because it's meant for you. All those things I said earlier is meant for you. This bud's for, book's for you. It's for you. Meditation and memorization was the custom of the Jewish culture. Um, the um, young Jewish men were, were sent to uh, school at the synagogue, and they would be required, and those that shined the brightest would memorize the entire 
first five books of the law. I mean, I'm a pretty good memorizer, and I just like, that's a lot. That's a lot. And I'm not recommending that that's what you do, but I'm recommending you pay attention to some of the choicest passages in here. Jesus did. Jesus committed the word to memory. Here's part of what um, I want us to grapple with. When we meditate on and memorize God's word, we internalize truth and are empowered to recognize truth from error or deception and realize our identity in Christ. That little statement is the sermon in a nutshell. Okay, so that's, that's what I want you to walk away with. Okay, when, whenever we meditate and memorize God's word, we, what do we do? We internalize truth and are empowered to truth from error or deception and to realize our true identity in Christ. Every one of us has an identity. And you probably don't think very often that your identity is in Jesus. Because you say, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, I'm a mechanic. Oh, I'm a farmer. I'm a... Right, right. So what you do in this world has impacted your identity more than God has impacted your identity. So when push comes to shove, you're going to lean into what the world says about you instead of lean into what God says about you. And to really experience God like the way he wants you to experience him, you've got to internalize who God is. So this talk about this little internalization of God's word. Um, the Bible, so I'm going to take you back to one of the earliest guys in the scriptural record in the book of Joshua. Those first five books of the Bible you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua is the next one, and Joshua 1.8. And I'm just going to go through and talk to you about some major figures in Scripture. Joshua 1.8, it says, keep this book of the law. In fact, whenever it's highlighted, you read that part, okay, with me? When it's highlighted, you'll read that part. Okay, here we go. Keep, uh, keep this book of the law always on your lips, on it. You're so good. Look what a quick study you are. Okay, let's do it again. Psalms 1, 2. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who... Come on, don't, don't give up on me now, right? Don't give up on me now. On the law... Okay, is it this, like, this is pretty, these guys are pretty serious about it, aren't they? Right? Some of us don't crack it open at all. Some of us only on maybe a, a rare occasion. These guys are cracking it open like day and night. Okay, pretty big deal. Okay, Psalms 119, verse 11. I have hidden that I might not sin against you. Okay, interesting idea. Where did he hide it? That would be like on the inside, right? Inside. Uh, Jeremiah 15, 15, 16. When I... I devoured them. Ezekiel, son of man. Oh, this is not. Okay, yeah. Let's go over this one more time, okay? The, the highlighted portions are yours. Highlighted portions are okay. Okay, uh, let's try that one again. Son of man, what is before you? Then go and speak to the people of Israel. Last one, Revelation 10, 9. Go, take the book held open in the hand of the angel astride. This is a vision that John sees, and the angels, he's a big angel. He's, a he's got one foot in the ocean, one foot on land. And like, he's like Jesus. He can walk on water, obviously. He's not sinking. It's like, oh, but he's like a big guy, and he's got this little book, okay? Uh, I went up to the angel and said, he said, okay, here's, here's the thing that's a 
that's the same all the way through that, all, they all participated in a practice that internalized God's Word. That's what's true of all those people in biblical history, and I could have put more up there. They all participated in internalizing God's Word. Why? Because God's Word, we tend to read stuff, and it's, always, it's out here. It's, it's, we objectify it. It's something that's, that's information. God wants it to be internalized for formation. Something's forming you. Something's shaping you. Something's making you think something, behave in a certain way, and you're under the influence of that. Here's what I think. is I, do, I think if we don't learn to eat the right words, we'll eat the wrong ones. You are what you eat. We all eat ideas, billboard, images, Facebook posts, Instagram messages, newspaper stories, magazine articles, verbal sandwiches, oral banquets of junk food that we unconsciously consume that bring us under the influence of a consumer. Are you a consumer? I bet you are. A consumer frame of reference that is insatiable for one thing, and that one thing is more. More ideas, more distorted messages, more possessions, more fantasy, more escape from reality. And the Bible stands in contrast to all those things, offering us something else, offering us life and breath, rest, healing, renewal, forgiveness. And most of all, it offers us intimacy with God, ourselves, and others. And it comes to us in the form of words. Stories, principles, commands, and promises, but we have to eat them, consume them, ingest them to be changed by them. God wants you and I to internalize it. When that becomes your rule of life, every day you're, you're meditating, you're consuming some portion of it. That's what we're inviting you into. That's what Jesus modeled for us. In our little text, Jesus is tempted three times. Did you get that? Turn the stones to bread. Throw yourself down from this temple. You can have all the kingdoms of the world. He's tempted three times, and every time he responds by saying, it is written. Because, Jesus quotes scripture, because he had it committed to memory. Matthew 4.4, classic example. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live. He's talking about living Live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Pretty high value, huh? Pretty high value. We cannot expect to be like Jesus if we fail to live like Jesus. This is, this is a very, very basic principle that so often we miss in Christianity. If I say I want to be like Jesus, guess what that means? I need to live like Jesus, I need to do the things he did because he is my example. He's my pattern. He's the motif I want to follow. He's the person I want to emulate. He's the Savior I want to mimic to be like Jesus. Um, a couple of my heroes, Charles Swindoll, um, if, you, if you know anything about Chuck, you know that he's a phenomenal Bible scholar, uh, commentator, author, pastor, um, university president. Uh, Chuck's done so much. He says, I know of no other practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing Scripture. No other single practice pays greater spiritual 
dividends, and he lists six things. Your prayer life will be enhanced. Your witnessing will be sharper and much more effective. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your faith will be solidified. When we don't do those things, when we don't engage the Word like it was intended to be engaged, we lose all those benefits. Lose all those benefits. Dallas Willard, um, probably one of my favorite guys that's influenced me as, as much or more than probably anyone else in terms of my philosophy of ministry and life other than the Scriptures themselves, says, as a pastor and teacher and counselor, I've repeatedly seen the transformation of inner and outer life that comes simply from the meditation and memorization of Scripture. I would never undertake to pastor a church or to guide a program of Christian education that did not involve a continuous program of memorization of the choicest passages of Scripture. Bible memorization is fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines in the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization because it is the fundamental way we give our mind what it needs. If we ignore the book, we will miss the blessing. If we ignore how Jesus utilized the book, we will not utilize or access the problems that God has for us. Um, I do not want you to miss what God has for you. So for some of us, you know, the Bible, here's kind of the, kind of the juxtaposition, right? We can say, it's a great big book, and it is. And it should be understood in its entirety. And just as you stick with me, especially uh, next, next year, we're going to be going through the book of, of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. And it's going to unlock all kinds of insights for all of us about understanding all of Scripture, and I'll probably expand it a little bit more than that so you get a real feel to kind of know how to navigate the whole book. So you can feel like, but pastor, I don't have the understanding you do. I don't got the grasp you do. Then, then just hunker down in a chapter. Hunker down in a few verses and begin to meditate on them and commit them to memory. We call them the choices passages of Scripture. Um, in 2011, um, we, we started a ministry around here called Stretch. Uh, how many have done Stretch before? Males, females? Like, lift your hand high like you just really love to show and say, yeah, I've done that. A lot of folks have. Um, hundreds of folks have done Stretch with me, and we've done all kinds of things, like including hike big mountains and uh, take on some incredible physical challenges because um, it stretches them, stretches us. But um, one of the things that we do every year is memorize uh, an entire text of Scripture, a whole chapter of Scripture. And so the folks that have done that with me every year have got about, about nine, seven, eight full chapters committed to memory. And um, the reason why we do that is because what I'm talking about today, it changes lives. And I can say, I've, like Willard, I can say I've seen the transformation of inner and outer life that comes simply from the meditation and memorization upon Scripture. Change lives, change marriages, change in parenting, change in spousal uh, respect and honor and, and effort and, and, and focus. It changes lives because all of a sudden I start seeing life from God's perspective. Um, Romans chapter 12 is one of those chapters that, that uh, we encourage folks to memorize. I'm just going to go backwards a little bit. Verse 21, verse 20, verse 19. I'm just going to go backwards for a little bit. Not, not the whole thing. I wouldn't impose that on you. 
Uh, but, I, but I meditate on this almost, almost daily. I meditate on this. Um, verse 21 says, um, Do not be overcome. Now think about this as a frame of reference. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just as a frame of reference. You ever bump into evil? It's kind of scary to think about, isn't it? We've got a world that's got plenty of evil. You bump into it. How, what do you, what's your response? I want to overcome it, not with like tit for tat. That'd be a different frame of reference. I want to come over, overcome evil with good. Backwards, and some of you are going, why backwards? Um, because it means you can pull every, when you get it backwards, I can pull every single verse out all by itself. And every single verse helps my frame of reference. When you memorize it forward, it gets fuzzy. You've got to start forward to, get, to go through it. But when you do it backwards, all of a sudden, oh, wow. So verse 20 is, on the contrary, I, I think about Sherlock Holmes, on the contrary, dear Watson, memory tool. On the contrary, uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Go buy him lunch. In doing this, and then this next part's confusing for a lot of people, you will heap burning coals on his head. For a lot of people, they go, yeah, that'll get him. Like that's some really bad thing. Now, that was like, give him a gift certificate to the spa. It'd be like these hot coals in the warm desert, in the warm Middle East. This would be like, oh, that feels so good. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you very much. Aren't we enemies? Yeah, but I want to give you something that's going to surprise you with the goodness of God. Verse 9, it's a frame of reference, right? How you look at people that are adversarial, how you look at people that you just don't like, how you look at the people that are kind of like an enemy, how do you look at them? Do you, well, you want to surprise them with God's goodness? That's a different frame of reference. And I've bumped into people that are nasty and, and stinkers, and I will do something crazy. I'll give them a gift certificate. It wasn't too long ago, somebody that cussed me up one side and down the other, uh, I gave them a $50 gift certificate. Thank you very much. Appreciate you telling me where you think I should go. And what an effer I am. Thank you very much. Go have lunch on me. Surprised him with goodness. That's what the good book says. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Believe room for God's wrath. For it is written, his mind to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Frame of reference. See, my frame of reference in life doesn't come from culture doesn't come from a popular book in culture. It comes from the one I love and serve who's modeled for me a frame of reference that says I can trust the contents because it can change my heart. What's your frame of reference? Why memorize it? Because your forgetter works really well. Mine does too. My forgetter works so well, I've got to really be faithful to kind of review and review and review and review. But what that does is strengthen and strengthen and solidify that frame of reference. Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Frame of reference. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody frame of reference verse 16 live in harmony with one another do not be proud be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited frame of reference god wants you and i to be serious enough about our walk with god 
that we recognize if I don't change my frame of reference, nothing will. If I don't engage it, if I'm not intentional, I'm going to stay with a frame of reference that just says, you know what? Get revenge whenever you, want, whenever you can. Get whatever you want whenever you can. If it feels good, just do it. And we missed the second thing about our notes today. If I don't internalize truth, then number two, I will not recognize truth from error, truth from deception. So number two in your notes, verse four, six through seven, it says, Then the devil took him to a holy, to a holy city and held, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God. Now I want to point out a little bit of thing here. So now this is the second time Satan's done that. He says, if you are the Son of God. What's he, it's, he wants to always take a piece of truth but cast doubt on it to bring question about it. That's what he wants to do with Jesus. He tried it. didn't work. With Jesus, he tried it. But with a lot of other people, it does work. Uh, God's really not that serious about whatever, fill in the blank, your sexuality. God's not really concerned that much with your integrity. In fact, you know what? In fact, I can, I can lie a little. I can cheat a little. I can deceive a little. I can se- s- do some sexting a little. I can do flirting a little. I can do some sexual entertainment slash pornography a little. I can cheat a little as long as no one finds out. You see how, how you know, I, I can just do a little, of, and the problem is a little gets a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more. I can do a little as long as no one knows. And so if I completely abandon my moorings, then I might jump over to this other persuasion, which we've seen throughout history. And this is an extreme This is an extreme. Uh, example, but genocide becomes ethnic cleansing. Right? Mass groups of people can be killed if it cleans up the society I live in, if, I, if it gets rid of the people I don't like. Frame of reference. How could they, how can people in a modern day world get, get by with that, get away with that? It's a frame of reference that a whole culture might embrace. Um, I was talking with someone not too long ago, and, I, and um, they, they told me that they were uh, polyamor- polyamorous. And you're familiar with that, that term, polyamorous? Um, it means, poly means many, and an eris means sexual activity with others. So I can have many sexual encounters with others. Um, this person's parents said, isn't that just called Cheating. No, it's called polymeras. It's a little more dignified. Right? I can create a whole new term to make approved what is not approving. That it makes acceptable what is unacceptable. You see, if I do not internalize truth, if I don't take it in, all of a sudden I just start to have these little, I don't recognize something that's in error or a lie or a deception, and I let it creep its way into my thinking and into my frame of reference. But when I honor God's Word, all of a sudden something happens. Here's kind of a crazy little thing. Um, did you know, look at, so look at this, this, this whole passage here. Uh, if you are the Son of God, he says, then throw yourself down. Now, who's speaking here? Satan, okay? So 
here's what he says. So Satan says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Wait a second now. Because Jesus then comes back and says, for it is written also. Satan's quoting scripture. The devil may know the Bible better than you do. You know what he finds about that little fact? He just gives you a little bit of Bible with a little bit of deception, and he suckered you right in because he knows it better than you do. We call that justification or rational lies. Rationalizing. See, Satan knows the Scriptures better than some of us do, and so no wonder he can pull us astray. All the more reason for us to say, okay, if Jesus knew it enough to kind of discern truth from error, right from wrong, what's pure and what's deceptive, then, then I should too. We, were, um, our little, we have a little B&B at our house. We've got a couple of rooms that we uh, let folks that are going to Yosemite stay in, and, and they give us money. It's a wonderful thing. It's incredible. It's a good deal. I don't sleep in three beds at once, so have at it right? So anyhow, so we do this little thing, and we had uh, someone come recently, and they paid cash. They gave us cash, bunch of $100 bills. And one of them was different. And my wife said, and so this, they came and left, and my, my wife said, this one's a counterfeit. I'm sure of it. <laughs> and uh, see it? And I go, yeah, it's just $100. <laughs> it's different than that one. That's, a, that's the, the big one, you know, the new one with all the kind of multicolored things. It's different than that one, but Still looks like a $100 bill to me. And then our housekeeper came over, and she looked, oh, this is a counterfeit. So I was tasked to go to the bank <laughs> with the bill in question. <laughs> and I went to the teller, and I said, uh, gave her the whole story, right? And I said, what do you think? She goes, oh, no, it's okay. I said, she goes, oh, yeah, this is okay. This is just fine. Can you give me a different one? Sure. Have that one. <laughs> They say that whenever someone's trained to recognize a counterfeit, they don't look at counterfeits, they just look at the real deal. And because they know the real deal so well, they can pick out a counterfeit like that. That's what Jesus could do. Because he had internalized truth so he could recognize deception. You will never get to the place where you can recognize deception if you've not internalized the truth. God wants to empower us. This frame of reference liberates us from captivity of lies, from falling prey to what is false. And it's right there for us. And you don't have to read the whole thing and understand the whole thing. Just hunker down in Romans 12 with me. Just hunker down in Colossians chapter 3 with me or James chapter 1 with me. Hunker down in Galatians 5 and 6 with me. Just dig into a a small portion and just chew on it like a dog with a bone and watch it transform you. Watch it begin to liberate your thinking and free you from the lure of rationalizing your choices. You see, if we cannot recognize deception, we will not realize God's promised protection. If we do not recognize deception, we will not realize God's promise protection. Um, Dallas Willard, again, a little quote from Dallas. Dallas says, the ultimate freedom, 
the ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon or think about. And by think, we mean all the ways in which we are aware of things. Um, Memories, perceptions, beliefs. The focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. Go back to that top of that quote again. Um, the ultimate freedom, it's a good quote, it's worth, right, if I've med- meditated on enough to memorize it, it's, you can read it a second time, right? Um, the ultimate freedom, this is your choice, it's freedom. Ultimate freedom we have as individuals, the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon or think about. Because sometimes you just allow your mind to go there. Anybody ever allow your mind to go there? It's a very, it's kind of a, a laissez-faire, it's kind of a disengaged, oh, I'll just allow my mind to think about, you know, enjoy that person's attractiveness a little more than I should. Allow my mind to kind of think about what a jerk he or she is and how I'd love just to tell them off. We just allow our mind to go there, right? We, we get somewhat passive with the engagement of our thoughts. We allow or require our minds to dwell upon. And by think, we mean all the ways in which we um, are aware of things, memories, perceptions, and beliefs. The focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world, your frame of reference, frame your world, and motivate your actions. This way of engaging the scriptures, meditation and memorization, I would say, is the most fundamental, transformative way you can engage the scriptures. And every believer should have it at some level on their rule of life. The last thing that I'd point out is just that uh, we realize the truth of our spiritual identity. So whenever I internalize the scriptures, I can recognize truth from error, deception, and I can internalize my identity in Christ. I can start realizing my identity in Christ. I realize that I am not what I do on the outside from 8 to 5. I am who He says I am 24-7. That's who I am. It's God's estimate of me. It's God's appraisal of me. It's God's plans for me. It's God's anointing me as His child. It's God embracing me as His son or daughter. It's God's choosing to be with me to transform who I am into His likeness. When our frame of reference is built on truth, God's Word, Jesus' words, we discover both who God is and who we are. It's interesting that Satan made this big deal. The tempter said two of the three times, he says, if you are the Son of God, what was he challenging? Jesus' identity. He's challenging Jesus' identity. What do we know about Satan's identity in the text? Well, we know that he's called the tempter. He's given three terms. The tempter, devil, and Satan. Okay, so that just gives us a nice little snapshot of who he is. He's a tempter. He's the devil. And he's Satan. And Jesus' last words, words to him are, away from me. 
we would need the kind of understanding about our identity whenever I realize who I am, all of a sudden, someone, a counterfeit idea of who I should be is so unattractive. A counterfeit idea of who I am is so unattractive that it's so weak to think I'm just a farmer, that I'm just a doctor, that I'm just a secretary, that I'm just... That's, that's such a low bar to identity. When God gives us this high marker of being one of His children, a dwelling place for His presence, an ambassador of the grand narrative of redemption... That is a much superior identity for who God sees you as and wants you to step into and realize. But it's just not going to happen if you keep His Word out here instead of bring it into here. Internalize God's Word. Accept it in your spirit. So I invite you. I invite you to just make a slight modification to your, to your rule of life, whatever it is. Whatever it is. You might be like, but I haven't got one yet, Pastor. Wow, I've got the best thing for you to start with. <laughs> Take a text. Romans 12 again, a beautiful one. Ephesians 4, beautiful one. James 1, a beautiful one. Corinthians 13, most of those I could give you backwards. Because I've learned that there's internal and external transformation that comes from simply meditating and memorizing God's Word. Would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we come with our minds full of stuff. Isn't that so true? You've got bills to pay, skills to obtain, responsibilities to uphold, people you're responsible to and people you're responsible for. We come with our minds so full. And until we make a choice to intentionally bring God's Word into the equation, we'll be under the influence of all those other things. I want to invite you, take a step with me today. Take a step to say, I can commit Scripture to memory. I will commit Scripture to memory. So I can internalize the reality of who I really am. Who are you? If the Spirit, if I, or better yet, if the Spirit has prompted your heart to be amissable, agreeable, even interested in saying, I want that, Pastor, would you just whisper a prayer with me? Just invite God's Spirit to empower you to do maybe what you've never done before or to do more consistently what you've only, only occasionally done intermittently. Whisper this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, this wonderful Savior, this anointed Messiah, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, to all those who receive him as my example. I commit today to love him more and to follow him more closely. God, help me be more like Jesus by doing life like Jesus. Empower me to memorize and meditate on your word. Liberate my heart and my mind from what holds it captive, from what it influences me to do that I don't want to do. Breathe a nice deep breath and just say, thank you, Lord. I love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. 